Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. This morning, you doing well? Oh, I'm so excited um, to, to give this, this conversation, this talk today. Um, let's pray. Let's pray before we start. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you. Father, we start with a posture of thank you. Thank you for who you are, for your love, your grace, your mercy. God, we do not deserve to be here, but yet you love us and you show favor to us. And your, your grace, God, is sufficient within our weakness. And so we honor you this morning as our king, as our Lord. And I ask, God, for those that are down, for those that are broken, for those that are looking for hope, that they would say, oh, I found hope in Jesus. That's my prayer this morning, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you about this, this, uh, this beauty and this wonder of the Advent season. If you hear the word Advent, sometimes you might think it's like over-religious or it's like, oh, what is that? You know, that's, it's a very religious thing to do. But you see, Advent really is just understanding that there was an arrival. That's what Advent means. And I love Christmas. I don't know about you. It's like my favorite time. Like literally my favorite time. All the other holidays are great, but Christmas is my favorite. Um, when I was little, as you all would know, right, maybe for some of us here, we loved Christmas because of the gifts of the presents that we could get, right? And, um, you know, I was raised in, in a home where I, you know, I still had an understanding that, like, obviously there was Jesus. But then, you know, my parents... There was Santa, and then, you know, and then I, well, I won't go into to detail there because I don't know who's in the room and that conversation with the little ones, but there's Jesus, right? And there was a moment where I realized, obviously, sometime in my life, this conscious um, idea that, man, the reason we celebrate Christmas, we should learn this in church and in Bible school, right, and in children's class that Jesus is the reason, right? But I don't know about you, but I begin to see the signs, the signs, when you start to know Christmas is coming around. And I love when people start decorating super early. I love that. Like, I wish that that would just be the thing, like, really as early, like, as early as November. And I, I've been, been able to see the beauty and the wonder through the eyes of, of my daughters, right, especially Lenya, that when we're driving around in the neighborhood, she's just so blown away by the lights. And it begins to be a sign, right, that something's coming. You see, I, I, I uh, am convinced that signs, they point us in a particular direction or they remind us of something, that that's what a sign is. It's a remembrance or it's a monument. It's something that says this is what's ahead or don't forget. And during the Christmas season, I don't know if you have your own family traditions, but I remember right around Christmas with my family, we would go every single year with my brothers down to, to, to Los Angeles. We'd go down to L.A. And um, I, I can't remember where we would go get the, where would we go, Mom, for the breakfast or the the Mexican food, Alvera Street. And uh, I would love it, right? Because, you know, like, I'm Latino, but 
I'm not first gen, and so I don't speak Spanish, and I wish I did. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm still, you know, my last name's Flores. Like, accept me. <laughs> and, uh, but I love, I love, like, that was the first thing that we would do every year. We would take the family, all my brothers, and we would go. And I just knew we would go to Union Station, and I knew once we would do that, all the signs. And then we would go to this auction where they had these massive trees, and they had the trailer, you know, the diesel trailer, probably the trees from Oregon. And then they would do an auction. And he would, he would call out, you know, he would put the tree down and, and show the beauty of it. And then, you know, people would say, oh, I want this for this much, for this much, right? And then my dad would put his hand up and I'd be like, I just remember as a little boy walking and smelling the trees. And the, the, the hot chocolate, right? And those moments, but as a little boy... It was the excitement that it was Christmas. But as I've gotten older, the excitement is, no, it's the arrival. It's the arrival, and there are signs that point us to the arrival of a king. And the arrival is Emmanuel, that God is with us. So that's what I want to talk to us today about, that God with us, God with us. When we look at the word Advent, Advent means arrival, and it signifies the start of an event or the arrival of a person. In Christian communities all around the world, Advent refers to a four-week season of remembering and celebrating the arrival of Jesus here on earth. It is a time to reflect on the unexpected nature of Jesus' birth and join in the anticipation of when he will come again to reunite with his people, to reunite with us. So it's, it's both and, right? The sign of Christmas is that Jesus has come and he's been with us. He is with us, that he came in flesh and blood. So there's the past there that he was, he was, with, he was with us, yes, but that he is with us, and then the anticipation that he will be with us again. That he will come back and reign and rule. And that might look different to you on what reign and rule means. And I promise you, 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 it's not what you think it is. Jesus doesn't come again the first time. He doesn't come with a sword. He brings peace. He brings joy. He brings love. He brings hope. And those are the four uh, monuments or perspectives of the advent season that it's peace joy love hope those are the signs and I'm always drawn to them and now I understand as I get older why I love Christmas so much because it points me back to why I am who I am why I love my God so much so it's a celebration of the arrival of Jesus that's why I love Christmas so much. Not for the gifts, right? Not for the, the fun on Christmas morning. All of those things are beautiful. But if we miss the whole reason, then we miss why we even celebrate in the first place. So the signs, right? The, the, the lights. And, and Lenya reminded me when we come home, we haven't quite got the like time thing dialed in. It's so frustrating. I might need like JJ to come and help me with that. You know where you like plug it in and then you have to dial it in? <laughs> and so when Lenny and I are driving around and Zoe, you know, Lenny's like, Daddy, the lights aren't on. Turn them on. Turn them on. Why aren't the lights on? 
So I have to go run in the backyard and plug it in, just automatically just say on, on the little switch. But I love seeing her just get so excited about that. But that should be the excitement we have like a child knowing, oh, the sign, God is with us. He's with me. It's a reminder. It's a constant reminder that God is with you and me. And if we can't have fun with it, if we can't get excited about it, then I don't want to be like the Eeyores of Christmas, the Scrooges. That was another thing that I would do. On Christmas Eve, my mom and I would get all ready, and we'd put on Scrooge. I can't remember the actual name, but I just remembered Scrooge. (laughs) Um, And I just, even that movie shows the depictions of the signs. So, to some, looking at Christmas lights, decorating a Christmas tree, going to fun places filled with snow and beauty, it's great, it's exciting, it's fun, but we cannot miss the wonder and the beauty and the cosmic nature behind why we celebrate it. So, We look at the grand entrance of our king. If you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. You know, you would think that Jesus would, uh, when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at Elijah and his exit, right, that he was taken up on a chariot of fire. He had a, a grand exit. You look at the different people in the scriptures that they just, it, it was something big. You even look at the, the exit of Jesus. Now that, that is amazing, right? On the cross and the whole world shakes and the veil is torn. And then he's resurrected three days later. It's, it's big, it's cosmic, it's vast, it's granular. But then you, you would think that the entrance of, of Jesus would be the same. I mean, we're talking about a king. Like, I want you to wrap your head around this. I understand there's much of belief that has to come in, but if you truly believe Jesus who is who he says he is, even if you're on the fence, could you imagine God coming down to earth? Well, we know, you know, what the Marvel gods would do. Often they're, they're big entrances. We know, you know, maybe what Hercules would do or, you know, all those other The Thors, sometimes it's big and it's vast and it's grand, but when we look at Jesus, who is the capital G God, the only God, the one and only, he comes completely off the radar, and only a few understand what's taking place. So the scripture says this in Matthew 1, verses 18 and 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Emphasis on that one. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Emphasis on that one, by the way. Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So long before Jesus was ever conceived in the womb of Mary, I want you to understand this. He was already conceived in the mind of God. He was already there, though. Long before Jesus was born and was placed in a womb of an imperfect person, by the way. And I know this might rattle your cage a little bit, but let me just explain what I mean by that. There was a time in our history within uh, theology, within understanding scripture, and often that was just bad theologians understanding and how to digest the scripture. But there was a moment where we would look at Mary and say, oh, well, God is perfect, so he would never place himself in the womb of an imperfect person. So Mary, she's perfect. And so we would worship Mary. We would look to her as really high up there in the hierarchy. But yet, I actually would say this. God knows how to get into messy things. He's not afraid of your mess. He's actually drawn to say, no, 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 I, I, I am not above you. And so he would place himself in an imperfect... Can we all agree we're all imperfect? We would agree then that Mary wasn't perfect. The scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short. It doesn't say, for all have sinned except Mary. Right? And again, I, I say that to just to point to a sign that God would come with us and not be afraid of our sin, not be afraid of our mess, that he would place himself in an imperfect world because when God shows up on the scene, things shift. Life is born. Long before Jesus ever took his first breath in our atmosphere or his first steps in our planet, God had already prepared the story. This is what I love about God. He is a master storyteller. If you just were to take a bird's eye view of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, you would begin to see the signs that he placed, that would all echo and point towards Jesus. So you have to understand God didn't do this for himself. Please hear me on this. God did not have to come here to earth. God did not have to come and fix our mess. He came not for himself, he came for you and I. That is the greatest depiction of love, by the way. He did this. He arrived for us. You see, the sign of Jesus coming into the world is not a sign for God to remember why he came or that he will fulfill the promise, though that's incredibly important. The sign of Jesus being born here is the sign for you and for me. Could you imagine if we just didn't have these things in our life to remind us? And the reason why I know we need to be reminded is because we can look at the Israelites because they forgot really quick. Which, by the way, the Israelites, I've said this before, is the story of us. <laughs> we forget really quick. 
So I love the sign of Christmas. I love the sign of Advent, that the Christ, the Messiah, the God has come here to us in our brokenness, in our dismay, in our uh, unhealthy spirituality. And yet he still comes to us. And he still says, I will be with you forever. In Matthew 2, the Magi, right, visit the Messiah. After Jesus, scripture says in Matthew 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or Magi, were from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. There's the sign. We saw this star, we saw the sign when it rose and have come to worship him. You see, I want to just digest the context for this for, you, for a moment. You guys good with that? Because context is so important. It was in Bethlehem that Jesus was born. Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small little town six miles to the south of Jerusalem. Bethlehem had a long history. It was there that Jacob... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right, had buried his wife Rachel and set up a pillar of memory beside her grave. It was there that Ruth had lived when she married Boaz. And from Bethlehem, Ruth could see the land of Moab, her native land, across the Jordan Valley. But above all, Bethlehem was the home of the city of David. We talked about David, right, that he was a man after God's own heart. It was his hometown. But in the history of Israel and to the minds of the people, Bethlehem was uniquely the city of David. It was from the line of David that God was to send the great deliverer of his people. As the prophet Micah had it. But you, O Bethlehem, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. This was a prophecy from Micah. It was in Bethlehem, David's city, that the Jews expected great David's greater son to be born. We know this because David is visited by God. He wants to build a temple for God. God, you've done so much stuff. We've, we've conquered so much land. You promised us this land all the way from the time of Abraham that you would give us a land of milk and honey. And we're here and we've conquered it and it's taken years. And David becomes king, but he wants to, he just wanted to praise God. He had so much gratitude towards God. He's like, we're going to build you a temple, God. We're going to worship you there because for so long, there's never been a place to call home for you. This was Old Testament. So David begins to think through it and probably gets the people around. God's like, no, 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 David. You have too much blood on your hands. My space is holy. It's sacred. So your son, Solomon, will build a temple. But I promise, this is a promise God makes to David. My promise to you is your line, the Davidic line, will stay forever. It will never cease. Well, that doesn't make sense because... We don't really, like, hear about those, the, the king. There's no king in Israel to this day, right? But yet, Jesus, he, he has a story. God has a story that he's saying. He's painting out. The picture of the stable and the manger. So, but watch this. It was in Bethlehem, David's city. The Jews expected great David's greater son. It was there that they expected God's anointed one to come into the world. So you have to understand, there was all of these prophecies 
prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that because David got this word and this promise from God that a king would rise and then the other nations come and conquer Jerusalem, the Babylonian Empire, and then the Persian Empire, and then all of these empires, and it's just like Israel is not even on the map anymore. They're enslaved. God makes a promise through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, that, that this will be a home again because they knew their king would come from the line of David. So there is this picture of the stable and the manger. There's this, um, this I'll let you fall asleep. <laughs> okay. There's this, there's this, uh, there's this beautiful uh, movie on Netflix that Lenya loves. And I, the reason I love it is because she understands baby Jesus now. I forget what it's called. Angela's Story, I think. Angela's Christmas. And it's just the whole time, you know, there's this little girl and she's trying to tend to this little baby Jesus in a manger. Right? <laughs> and the reason why I love that she can comprehend that there's a baby Jesus is because he was a baby one time. He was actually a human fully man and fully God. But we, um, if we're not careful and we don't understand the context, we will think it's like this beautiful manger. That just sounds really good, but it was actually, it was a stable where there were like horses and donkeys and it smelled and it stunk. Could you imagine giving birth in that environment? Oh, oh Lord, help us if we like lived in that day, right? With all of our cleanliness. But yet Jesus was born in a stable where it was nasty and dirty and it stunk, where it was unsanitary. The picture of the stable in the manger as the birthplace of Jesus is a picture embedded and etched in our minds. But it may well be that that picture is not altogether correct. Biblical archaeology and history tells us that Jesus was born in a cave near the village of Bethlehem. The reason why I know this is because many theologians and archaeologists would agree to this because in the cave was a stable. And I remember I had the privilege of going to this place in Bethlehem. You have this picture, right, of what this looks like. And you have this, like, standard in your mind. And you're like, this is it? What? But that's the point. The houses. And Bethlehem are built on the slope of the limestone ridge. There's a limestone ridge there. And it's very common for them to have a cave-like stable hollowed out in the limestone rock below the house itself. Very likely, it was such a cave stable that Jesus was born. I've been there to this site. And, you know, us Christians and even, like, Catholics, the Catholics, what we did is we knew all these monumental spaces, so then we went and built churches there. And it's kind of frustrating. Now, then I could understand. But like when you go to, to Israel to this, to this day, all of it is like this was where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Well, there's a church there now. Like all through. And I'm like, oh, man, you kind of like, that's awesome. We have a church there. You kind of ruined the site. <laughs> so Bethlehem, where they really believe in, oh, we don't 100% know, but they built a whole church on top of where this cave is. And so you go with the church and you're looking and they're like, well, this is where we believe. And the cave in the church um, where pilgrims would descend into and they would find a little cavern about 14 yards long and four yards wide lit by little silver lamps. In the floor, there's a star and around it, a Latin inscription. 
Here Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. When the Lord of glory came to this earth, he was born in a cave where animals were sheltered. That's what it says. The cave in the church of the nativity in Bethlehem may be that same cave, or it may not be. We will never 100% know. But this was the point of sharing this whole thing. There is something beautiful in the symbolism that the church where the cave is, is a door so low you have to stoop in it. I remember being like, what the heck? So it's like, it's a cave, and you open the door, and you have to go like this. So the whole time we're like this. And the person's talking about all the different, and you're like, oh, man, my back's kind of hurting. <laughs> but that's how the caves were. It was low. It was low. And I'm reminded the more I walk with Jesus that he teaches me how to get low. He teaches me how to be humble. He teaches me how to serve. How could he say I've come to serve the world if he was born in this immaculate you know why he did that? Because the rich would have him and the poor wouldn't. But now the poor, blessed are the poor in heart. Blessed are the poor. Because he shows us, oh, I don't have a standard for you coming to me. In fact, I came to you. This is why if you study every religion, do it yourself. Do your, your own due diligence. You will discover every religion, every religion, this is actually the definition of religion, is us doing things. There's nothing wrong with the doing. But when it's so focused on doing so that we can get to God, that's religion. Every religion. You have to do this and do this and be this and, 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 and get all these things done before you get to experience the power and the presence of God. When you do this, then you get to God. And God said, that is not how it is. It's not us with God. It's God with us. So he comes to us. It's not even religion anymore. You're telling me the king of the world, the one who created every fiber and detail and atom and fractal, every tiny little speck, Every massive cosmic, the, the Grand Canyon, the, the sky and the stars and everything in our genius, you're telling me that that God came here? Shouldn't there have been a grand entrance and big and vast? No, it was in a small little town called Bethlehem where you had to get really low, really, really low. And that's what he teaches us. I wonder for, for us if we have a complete opposite depiction of who our God is. <laughs> oh, I got to be this person, man. Again, those things are important. That's leadership and character and development and maturity and growth and obeying the things of Jesus 1,000%. But when we think that we have to do to get, it's religion. God said, no, I'm going to set this straight. These are all what the little gods would do i am the god because in this day and age they really believed in gods you got to understand that but god comes jesus comes as a little baby could you imagine like really think about this let your mind go there god like god in the flesh and now he, he has to be tended to by a human that's imperfect 
<laughs> what if they like messed it up? He humbled himself that much to be tended to by a mother and a father. He had, he had a brothers. He had a, a lifestyle. He, he knew what it was like to be a little boy. And the scripture says at one moment, there's like this, this light bulb that turns on that's like, oh, I, I'm actually God. But he had to learn what it was like to be low. He shows us what it's like to be low. It's just beautiful that it's surprisingly feeling fitting that people should approach the infant Jesus on their knees. Do you ever thought about that? This is why, by the way, something God is doing a deep work in me. He's taking me back to humility again. He's like, no, man, you got to get lower. Sam, you want to go up, whatever that means? Then get low. Get low. Understand. That's actually, by the way, when you look at Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, everyone thinks there's this particular standard that the Pharisees would raise. And he, Jesus says, no, no, there's no, the standard is this low. You are these things when you are blessed when you have nothing. You are blessed when you're humble. You're blessed when you're meek. But we, like, need to push back that narrative here in America, don't we? Where we think, like, for some reason we deserve all of this stuff. Man, my God came to me. He came to me. I love how the star represents an upward posture. You ever thought of that? Look up. So they were looking and they were searching which I don't want to go into detail because this might throw you off for a little bit, but they actually studied the stars, the Magi. Did you know that? So I don't know what that means, a whole other conversation. But it was those people that knew something was up because they understood the stars. Whoa, what's, oh, the prophets, the this, the that, they understood the scriptures. And then they went to the king of the little town, the town like of Jerusalem, Herod. And Herod's like, oh, not on my watch. Long story short, you should read the story. They try killing Jesus. They kill all the firstborns. It's a depiction of the time of Moses again. And Mary and Joseph have to run and escape to Egypt, which, by the way, was put in the prophecies that they would leave. It's just God is a master, master storyteller. So the sign of Christmas is a reminder that Christ is here now and forever. In Jesus, God walked with us. He talked with us. He, did with, he walked with, like he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Christ's arrival showed all humanity that God is faithful to his promises and he's faithful to us. Jesus was not just a sign of God with us. Jesus was God with us in person, in flesh and blood. Then that he would never leave. Have you ever wondered what God looks like? What he acts like? I, sometimes I'm like, I bet he had to have humor. Come on, he had to laugh. <laughs> he had to joke around a little bit. He had to be an approachable person. I mean, the scripture says that little children would want to be around him. That women, and in that day and age, men were all pompous and like all tough and, oh, you, you women are below me. But the women wanted to be around him. Jesus was this beautiful depiction of, of who God was in the flesh. So whenever you're, like you're trying to understand God and this world and your purpose, 
my challenge to you is to look to Jesus. That he is God with us here and now in the flesh. And that's the beauty of Emmanuel. God with us. That was the promise. I love that God was born in a womb. I know I said this earlier, but I just want to dive into this. I love that he was born. Could, I mean, it's really hard. and We don't have time. We shouldn't go through, like, all of the understanding. But, like, try to think about that and being Joseph. And your wife, soon-to-be wife, is like, I'm pregnant. But then Joseph's like, uh, that, that doesn't add up because we haven't, you know, that's a whole other conversation, right? But it's like, this, this, Mary, what are you telling me? Like, what are you saying? How could you describe that? The Holy Spirit conceived a baby in me, Joseph. <laughs> uh, okay. And so Joseph literally says, and this, I don't have time to go through the context, but they were brought together for a year. They were technically considered man and wife, husband and wife, but they weren't fully consummated in their marriage yet. So by law, if, and this is how crooked the old times were, the wife didn't have the right to divorce, the husband did. And so Joseph was going to quietly divorce Mary, quietly meaning it wasn't going to be a public display. He was just going to go and say, hey, this isn't going to work, because in his mind he thought the worst. And then an angel comes to him. And the reason, understand this, please, we're Bible students here. The reason Jesus is talked about to Joseph is because Joseph was the son of David. His lineage in Matthew 1, and this person, and this person, this person, this person, then David, and then Solomon, and then this person, and then this person, all the way down to Joseph. And then Joseph had a son with Mary named Jesus. That was the promise. But Jesus is a master. God is a master storyteller of the arrival. But it, it wasn't what we expected. Have you thought about that? It was not what we expected. So many traditions of faith believe Mary was perfect. I talked about that. But in love, that God, he, God shows us that he's not intimidated by your sin, man. He's not. He's not afraid of your mess up. He's not afraid of your brokenness. He's not so prideful and arrogant that he wouldn't come and live in the womb of an imperfect human. Jesus is not intimidated by you. God is not intimidated by you, by your issues, by your mishaps, by the thoughts that you have. In fact, he says, I am with you. God is with us. And I love that. That's what Emmanuel means. That's what Christmas means. So the next time you see the signs, because they're all around us, right? I want, I want to remind you to think, oh, the signs all point to God with me. Notice the verbiage of the expression, God with us. <laughs> think about that for a second. The verbiage, it's not us with God. It's kind of like saying, you know, God's like, oh, I created a plan to be with you, not you created a plan to be with me. No, God's like, no, 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 I, I, I set the table, and I've invited you, God with us. And that is, is what I want to 
I just want your faith to arise in that. The beauty, the wonder, the cosmic nature is that God came here to earth and made us and reminded us what it means to be low, what it means to be humble. So in all of my despair, in all of my brokenness, in all of my issues, God is still with me. He's with you, friend. So remind yourself every time you see the signs. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the beauty of that, of, of love and of peace and of joy and of hope that God is with us. This was God's plan all along, by the way. Did you know that he has a plan for you? He has a plan for every person in this room. And what the enemy wants is for you to think that there's not a plan for you, that all hell has broken loose over your life and there's no more hope, there's no more love, there's no more grace, there's no more peace. And God says, no, 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 I have come to this world to bring you joy, life, love, and hope. God with us, Emmanuel. So for you, wherever you're at right now, just know that there's always more. That God has a story. He's created the story and he's invited you in it. Have you thought about that? That that's his master plan? I'll never forget when I was sitting under my professor because you become your professors. Did you know that? You've got to be really careful who teaches you. You become your rabbi. Those who teach you, those who walk with you, those who show you things, those who open up the scriptures. And when it's all anger and well, this is what that church is doing wrong. This is what that church is doing wrong. This is what that church is doing wrong. This is how we do it right. Good luck with that theology. That's terrifying to me. And the reason why I love this man so much is because it's Bill Doctrum. He's like, I want to remind you guys something in the Genesis account. I want to remind you something in the entire story of God. There was no plan B. There was no plan B. And some theologies really can't stand this conversation but think about it God created you and I because he loved us so much and he's a creative God and he's a God of beauty and wonder and so he creates in us his image the Trinity the Father Son and the Holy Spirit they create and they do beautiful like and then we're here Adam and Eve right and then we sin and we fall and that's our story but there was no plan B. Do you, do you, does that make sense? Some of you guys are like, oh, I don't like that. Well, think about it. Then you just must not like you. There was no plan B. What I mean by that is humanity was God's only plan A. And he would send his son, who he already knew, by the way, Jesus, it's a trinity. You're going to have to, uh, you know, we're going to have to go down and humble ourselves. Absolutely. Let's do it. I know that, like, hurts your head if you think about the trinity like that. But that's how I have to comprehend it. They're three in one. But the plan was already there. It was not, we're going to destroy this whole thing. They tried that. They tried to destroy the entire planet. But there arose a man who feared God named Noah. Through the line of Noah, through the line of David, through the line of Abraham, he had a master plan because he had no plan B. We are his only plan A. Jesus came for us. 
He came for you and I. He loves you that much. So I can't stand when there's bad theology around this and we have to make ourselves look so gross and ugly. It's like, do you think that's how Jesus looks at you? Come on, man. Read the scriptures. Read the Bible. Read the love letter. Read the, ch- the courage and the passion and the draw of more that he came for you and for me. That he got low so that we could learn to be loved to walk with God. So, if that makes you uncomfortable, well, what Jesus are you following? I, does that make sense? I know it's Christmas. Merry Christmas. But if that rattles you a little bit, oh, I don't really like how that person does this, or, well, they need to, like, practice this more, and they're unhealthy, and they're not biblical, and they do this, and they do that. I don't remember Jesus doing that. You know who he did that against? The Pharisees, those who thought they had it all put together. So you're in good company when you think, I don't have it really put together. Uh, Like if I go in that building, the walls are going to burn down. I kind of like when people say that because I'm like, oh, you have no idea. Let me introduce you to my Jesus. He loves you, man. He has a plan and a purpose for you. There is always room for more. There's always room for more. So we're going to go, as Jesus said, we're going to go, as Luke says, in the highways and the byways. We're going to do everything we can because we have the creator of the universe that has called us, that has pushed us to say, look at my life and how I lived it. I came to you, so now you go to others because you're my only plan A. Partner with me. Step with me, walk with me, learn the rhythms of grace, the rhythms of love. You want to know who you will be when you follow Jesus? The end result is a person of love, a person of hope, a person of grace, not a person of anger and frustration towards one another. God with us. So he gives you this sign. Have you seen the signs?